Okay, so Moray Barabotai, welcome to this inaugural shir in the Mizrahi, uh, World Mizrahi offices. A brief introduction to Tzuba Merabanan, Rabbenzion Al Ghazi, a renowned Talmud Chacham, the Rosh Yeshiva of Ramat Gan, Yeshivat is there, had many Talmidim who had left the Yeshiva and were full time working but wanted to learn Halacha in an in depth way but they didn't have all day to sit and learn in yeshiva. So what he did was he went to the Shulchan Aruch, he chose 300 topics, and he divided them up, and on a weekly basis he would give them a shiur, preparing all the sources from the Gemara through contemporary uh, poskim, and every week they would cover a topic. And over the, the amount of four years, they were able to cover 300 major sugyot in the Shulchan Aruch, and this became the syllabus of the Tzurbe Merabanan, which 10,000 people learn on a weekly basis in Eretz Yisrael. Uh, World Mizrahi, together with Manigut Toranit, um, have partnered with Tzurba to translate it. Um, the Bogrim of, uh, of Manigut Toranit add further in-depth elucidation and essays, and bring it to the English-speaking world, and Bezrat Hashem, it is going to be across five uh, or six countries throughout the world. So let us start on our topic today on page 21, and that is the topic of Avodah Zorah, the topic of idolatry and how it uh, pertains to our lives in Halakha. Now, to begin with, at the outset, how much of the mitzvot are connected to Avodah Zorah, to idolatry? And you'll be shocked to know that the Rambam lists out of the 613 mitzvot, 51 of the mitzvot are directly connected to Abu Zorah. When you open up his chapters on Hilchot Abu Zorah, you'll see 51 mitzvot. So it really does impact our lives and some of us are not uh, aware that there are many, many questions. Uh, I was just giving a sheer Last week in Africa and in South Africa, someone said they were in Zambia and they asked for the Wi-Fi code. And uh, they said, no problem. The Wi-Fi code is J is Lord. Are you allowed to put your Wi-Fi code in? So there are many, many uh, ramifications that we're not even aware of um, that we have to deal with. So in regarding idolatry, most of us do not come into contact with idolaters on an everyday basis, especially in the Western world. But the real question is, how does Judaism define the, what's called the so-called monotheistic religions, Islam and Christianity, because that's really, at least in the Western world, the people that we come in contact with. And this is going to have ramifications in terms of business and many other, many other issues involved. So let us begin our journey with on page 21 with the definition, the halachic status of Islam. <clears throat> and I want to take you to the Middle Age commentator, the Me'iri, in Catalonia, northern Spain. And the Me'iri says as follows, Regarding the Muslims, there are those opinions that hold that they are not idolaters. And uh, I will, I will, will skip his, his whole uh, discussion, but if you look at the last three lines, Umikol Makom, nevertheless, Chachmei Svarad, 
the sages of Spain, Cholkinba, they argue, they hold that they are idolaters. And he is here referring to the Rimigash. The Rimigash, the end of the 1100s, was the rabbi and teacher of the father of the Rambam. So here he's referring to the Rimigash, who claims that Islam is idolatry. And what is his proof? He explains, Shaharei Matsinu, we have found the Perik Rishon in the first chapter of Masechet Avodah Zarah, the Gemara in Masechet Avod Zorah listed a number of set temples of idolatry. And one of them is Gishra in Arabia. And because of that, says the Rimi Gash, that Islam is idolatry. And that is very perplexing because what has it got to do that in the ancient world, in the pagan world, there was a temple in Arabia. How does that impact our definition of Islam? Islam only came around in the year seven, 700s or so. So, you know, a few hundred years after the Talmud had already been concluded. So what exactly is the proof of the Rimigash? Let's put that at a back burner. and We'll come back to it in a moment when we get back to the Rambam. Moving still in Spain with Rabbeinu Nisim of Gerona. Rabbeinu Nisim, living in the 13, 1320s to 1380s, he also claims, he says as follows, We have learned from here, The saints of the Gentiles and the Meshugana of the Yishmaelim, we all know who he's referring to, Although they do not claim to make them into a deity, however, but since they do bow down to these uh, deities, etc., it is considered davarasur. And why is that? The run explains. Bowing down when a person is, al- in a, is alive could be accepted in halakha because it's, it's considered you giving honor. So if the Queen of England had to walk in and a person would bow down, it's not necessarily prohibited. We have found people in the Tanakh that bow down to other people and it wasn't considered a Vodazora, it was considered an act of giving honor. But here says the Ran, uh, that is all true if the person is alive. But if a person is dead and you bow down, that's not considered giving honor if a person's dead. What is that? That turns them into a deity. And says the run, since they bow down to their prophets, etc., etc., that is, or they call them prophets, obviously, that, according to the run, signifies idolatry. So we have had the Meiri and we have had the run. Both in Spain, northern Spain, Catalonia, saying that Islam and is basically idolatry. Muslims are idolaters. And now I want to share with you the opinion of the Rambam. Now what's very important to note is that the Rambam, already in the 1300s, almost all of his works spread across the Jewish world. Even in the 1300s, in the Middle Ages, his works had crossed the Jewish world. The Baalea Tosfot had had seen the works of the Rambam. 
that was generally true regarding his Mishneh Torah, right? His Magnus Ogman, the, the, the major work. However, the Rambam also wrote responsa and letters. And not all of those responsa and letters were so well circulated in the, in the Jewish world. And here we pick up a responsa of the Rambam, who's answering a question regarding the status of Islam. And he says quite categorically, Hayishmailim enam of day avodazaram, source number three. Hayishmailim enam of day avodazaram, klau. They are not considered idolaters at all. Kfar nichratami piemulibam. And it has already been removed from their hearts and from their mouths any inkling of idolatry. But now comes something is, uh, interesting. He says in the third line, the Tomar, and if someone would say, that the temple that they bow to is a temple of idolatry. Now, where do the Muslims bow to? They bow to Mecca. And Mecca, where do they bow to? The Kaaba. The Kaaba historically was what? Gishra Sheba Arabia. Remember the Talmud said that there was a temple, a set temple in Arabia. And the Rimigar says, yeah, but they, they bow down. They, the Gemara says there was a temple in Arabia and therefore obviously they are idolaters. Well, now it can make sense. Because historically where they bow down to is actually historically a pagan temple of idolatry. And the Rambam is not denying that fact. The Rambam's not denying the fact, but what does he say? He says as follows. The in Tomar, and if you'll say that the house that they praise is a house of idolatry, and inside this house is actual idols, he says these things, uh, it doesn't bother him. Why does it bother He says, He says, who cares? Why? Because the people that are bowing down there today, the modern Muslims, they're not thinking about the historical pagan temple. Their heart is to heaven. And he brings a source, and this is the Gemarian Sanhedrin. We'll say it outside. The Gemara says, what if a Jew walks into Shul? And he bows down and he starts uh, davening, etc. He bows down everything. It's Yom Kippur. And then as he walks out, someone goes up to him and says, you know, uh, actually where you were bowing down, that what you thought was a shul was a temple of idolatry. The Gemara says, not the end of the world. Rahman and Libabayim, Hashem wants our hearts. His heart was in the right place and therefore it's not the end of the world. So says the Rambam, you see the Talmud itself says that if a person is bowing down to a temple of idolatry, but they're not thinking about that, they're thinking otherwise, it's not a problem. Right? So therefore the Rambam is not concerned that historically the, Gish, the Kaaba is actually the Gishra Sheba Arabia mentioned in the Gemara as the Rimi Gash was concerned and thought that that was a good proof. And therefore the Rambam holds these are not, Islam is not idolatry. He said, he goes uh, further and he says basically not only are not, they're not idolaters but their understanding of the unity of God. He says, Ein Ladofi. It's, it's, it's 100% Mahadrik. They got it right. They got a few things, other things that are wrong that he goes on, but, but, but in terms of the unity of God and it not being idolatry, that's, that's good to go. Okay? Now, how do we pass it? The Rambam 
was in Egypt, 1100s, 1200s, and he was in an Islamic country. The Rana and the Meiri are both sitting in Spain. At this time period, already in Spain, they're not, Islam is, is, is uh, they're in, in previous generations, in the 11th, hundreds and twelve hundreds there was an Islamic invasion but at the time of the run and the Meiri it really doesn't exist anymore it's become basically a Christian uh, Christian land why is that so important so here we come jump now almost 900 years from the Rambam to Yerushalayim and we meet Rav Waldenberg the Tzitzel Yezer one of the great poskim of the previous generation he was a posik of Shari Tzedek and Rav Waldenberg says as follows, source number four. Haran. We have seen explicitly from the words of the Ran, He said, since they bow down to their deity, this is idolatry and, and therefore it is idolatry and it is prohibited to go into their houses of worship because this is a temple of idolatry and therefore no one can go into a mosque. Move to source number five, Rav Ovadia Yosef, chief rabbi of Israel. And Rav Ovadia Yosef says something very interesting. The, the mosques do not have the status of the houses of idolatry. And why is it so? And it's permitted to enter them. Because he's personally like the Rambam. But he says further, haran, even Rabbeinu Nisim, the run who said that since they bow down to the prophets, they are considered idolaters. One could say, If the run would have seen what the Rambam had written about Islam, he would not have, he would have rescinded his opinion. The Rambam was clearly an expert in Islam. He was living amongst the Muslims in a Muslim country. Furthermore, the Rambam, no secret, was hidden from the Rambam. And therefore, says Rabbi Yosef, if we want to know who's an expert in terms of the theology of, of Islam, the Rambam is the right address. And therefore, he says that basically there mosques are not considered places of idolatry and it is permitted to enter them is there a real practical ramification so just one example one example every day israeli soldiers some of them are working undercover and they have to go into places sometimes they have to go into mosques now is that permitted for them to go in now one could say well what are you talking about it's for the security of the jewish people for the state of israel and surely that would be permitted is it so clear-cut? Are we allowed to break anything in the Torah for pikuach nefesh? Well, yes, except for three cardinal sins. One of them murder, the other arayot, adultery, etc. And the third is idolatry. So if you're defining this as idolatry or a temple of idolatry, it becomes a bit of a, a question. Lemaise, most poskim have adopted the opinion of the Rambam as Rabbi Yosef did, and basically we do not view Islam 
as idolatry, nor the Muslims as idolaters. And that will also have certain ramifications in terms of if they touch wine, etc., etc. It will, will have other ramifications. I've just brought one ramification in terms of going into a mosque. But here comes the, I think, the more practical for most of us, and especially people living in the Western world, what is the status of Christianity? And here, we come on source uh, page 24, here, where the Rambam was quite categorical in defending Islam, here the Rambam is quite vociferous in opinion of Christianity. He says as follows, source number 6, Rambam in Hilchot Hanotrim of the the Christians are considered idolaters. Not only they are considered idolaters, the Yom Rishon Hu Yomidam. Sunday is considered their festival. What does that mean? Why is that so important? The Gemara in Avodah says, a Jew is not allowed to do business with an idolater three days before their festival. And why not? If you do a business deal, and someone just, you just sealed the deal, and you're going to get 100,000 shekels. So what's the natural thing that a religious person is going to do? You're going to, when you go to shul and you're going to dab in modim with extra kavana. You're going to say, thank you, Akash Baruch Hu, for the great deal. Well, an idolater, if he seals a deal three days before his festival, when he goes to sacrifice a korban to his idol, he's going to add another korban because he just sealed the deal. So we are creating more Avodah Zorah. So the Gemara says, you can't do business with them three days before. Here the Rambam says, not only are Christians considered idolaters, but their festival is not just the 25th of December. Every Sunday is considered their festival, which means if we were to go to, according to the strict letter of the law, you could basically, according to the Rambam, you might only be able to do business with a Christian on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and that's, that's pretty much it. Then the week's gone, right? So get your Amazon orders in uh, quickly because it becomes uh, quite challenging. So that is the opinion of the Rambam. But now I want to take you to northern France, the 1200s, Baalea Tosvot, and they are living amongst the, uh, the, the, the Christians. They understand Christianity quite well. And Rabbeinu Tam is going to say a statement that is going to be a controversy of what he actually meant for the next 800 years. So what the statement of Rabbeinu Tam, what we're going to read now, is going to cause a huge argument amongst the rabbis for the next 800 years until today. What does Rabbeinu Tam say? Rabbeinu Tam Omer, Mutar lekabel hemenu hashvua. Let me give a quick introduction to this statement. The Gemara says not only is it prohibited to do business with an idolater three days before their... their um, the festival, it's a problem making them a business partner. And why is that? Because in business, as usual, a few years down the line, there's a brogus. And when there's a brogus, so you go to court. And when you go to court, what's the first thing you do? Raise your right hand and swear. And swear by what? So the Jew's going to swear by the Torah and the idolater is going to swear by his idol. And you are causing an idolater to swear in the name of idolatry, which is a problem. So the Gemara says, because that's a problem, you cannot make them business partners. Says, the, says Tosfot, 
אומר רבנו תם, מותר לקבל הימן השבועה. You can have them as business partner, and if you go to a broikers and you have to go to court and, you, and he takes an oath, it's not a problem. Why is it not a problem? Why? Because she, even, even though they mention God's name, and they also have other intentions, their intention is for the creator of the world. And look at this last line. They don't swear in the name of God, but they add a few add-ons, right? A son, a girl, this or that, okay? What? Look, look at the last line, or the second last line. We have not found that it is prohibited to cause others, to cause non-Jews, to have some type of duality, partnership, and there's no prohibition of putting a stumbling block in front of them, because non-Jews, B'nai Noach, were not commanded regarding this. Regarding what? So if you look at the Ramah, we're now in Krakow, in the 1500s, and the Ramah in Krakow, source number 9 says, there are those that are lenient in making partnership with the non-Jews in our times. Because they do not in our times swear by idols. Although they do mention it, they believe in God. But they just have an add-on. They have an add-on. And says the Ramah, This is not a problem of causing a stumbling block. Says the Ramah, Non-Jews are not prohibited from believing in duality of God. For a Jew... The unity of God is paramount. Any type of duality is considered a Vodazara. But for a non-Jew, for a non-Jew, says the Ramah, and he's basing himself on the Rabbeinu Tam, he says for a non-Jew, as long as they believe in God, okay, so they have a bit of extras, add-ons, okay, not, not the end of the world. Not the end of the world. And therefore, Basically, all of the laws, Christianity is not considered idolatry for a non-Jew. For a Jew, it is considered idolatry. But for a non-Jew, it's not considered idolatry. And therefore, that's going to have many ramifications. How we view their churches, how we view partnerships, how we do doing business with them, etc., etc. You said the duality. What about the trinity? Well, the, the, the duality, trinity, it's, it's the same, same thing. The add-ons, right? The add-ons, right? As soon as they... As the Ramah is saying... I know there's a trinity. They believe in the trinity. In the time of the Ramah, there was only Catholicism, right? So, so and, and definitely in the times of the Rambam and all of the Rishonim, so we're talking about Catholicism, where they were taught, understood there was a trinity. Says the Ramah, I know they have the trinity. It's not a problem for them. It's a problem for us. But now I want to move to the 1700s, and we are now in Prague. Prague 
They call it the city of a thousand citadels because there are um, so many churches every every corner. I was uh, I, I was there with my wife a few few months ago, and uh, I'll tell you we, we wanted to take a picture, and, you know, take a selfie, and every time you want to take a selfie in the background, there's a church, and we'll see it's not simple. Are you allowed to take such a picture? So we'll get to that in a moment. But let's see, and the, this is the. This is the surroundings of the Narbi Yehuda. So he's surrounded by all of these churches. He's living in a very Christian country. And he says like this. He says quite shockingly. He says, I don't know what everyone's talking about. I think they've been misquoting Rabbeinu Tam for the last 400 years. Because Rabbeinu Tam never said that for a non-Jew, he can believe in some type of duality, trinity, etc. What was Rabbeinu Tam referring to? Says the Narbi Yehuda, I've looked in the entire Talmud Yerushalmi, and I've looked in the entire Talmud Babli, and I've never found a distinction between a Jew and a non-Jew regarding the prohibition of idolatry. It's prohibited the same for us and the same for them. What was Rabbeinu Tam referring to? And he says as follows. Let me explain it outside. There are two separate prohibitions. Prohibition number one, I am not allowed to believe in idolatry. That is a Torah violation. Prohibition number two, someone walks up to me. I, for example, that case in Zambia. I just want to put the Wi-Fi in, right? So, so they say, okay, just say J is Lord or whatever it is. Or someone tells me, I'll give you 5,000 shekels if you, if you say that, uh, proclaim that Jay is Lord or, or, or anything of that. I don't believe in it. But, you know, I want my 5,000 shekels. Am I allowed to pronounce such a statement? Am I allowed to swear that in, 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 make such an oath? The Torah says that's prohibited as well. Two separate prohibitions. Says the Nodabiyuda. What was Rabbeinu Tam saying that the non-Jews are not prohibited regarding taking an oath in the name of idolatry for that they don't have such a prohibition they have the seven old card laws and you have to believe they not now believe in believe in idolatry but in terms of taking an oath in the name of idolatry they're not commanded regarding that and therefore says the non beautiful that's all Rabbeinu Tam was saying Rabbeinu Tam was saying why are you allowed to take a partnership with them because they ultimately believe in about Zorah and their their oath isn't such a problem. That's what you're saying. It's not such a problem because this shittuf, this duality, if they take an oath in terms of duality, it's not a prohibition. But in terms of actually believing in Avodah Zorah, that is certainly prohibited. And therefore the Nod of Yehuda said categorically that Christianity, and in his time it was Catholicism, he was saying... Protestant Reformation. Oh, oh sorry. Well, not, not, in, not in Prague. It hadn't reached... Prague, I don't think. 1517. Did it go to Prague? No, I don't know when it was I don't, Prague. Yeah, no, but I, I think Prague, that was still... But nevertheless, in, uh, he is very uh, firm in his opinion that this is a misunderstanding of the opinion of Rabbeinu Tam. It has no source in the Talmud. And basically, for his opinion, Christianity is considered idolatry. Christians are considered uh, uh, idolaters. And that's how they should be... That's how the halakha views them. Now this sparked a major, major argument between the poskim throughout the generations. The Ramah, the preeminent posek of the Ashkenazi jury, basically said they're not, um, 
Christianity is not idolatry. The Nodabi Huda and uh, argued. The Shach, the Sifta Koin, one of the most important commentators on the Shulchan Aruch, agrees with the Ramah. But on the other side, you have the Minchat Lazar, you have Rav Chaim of Brisk, you have Rav Soloveitchik in the past generation that was very stringent. He held that basically the Nod of Yehuda's understanding is the correct understanding. In fact, if you look at source number 13, in Sefer Nefesh Harav, Rav Shechter points out that when Kennedy, when Kennedy died, or was killed, assassinated, assassinated um, he was a Catholic, and they showed the funeral procession. They viewed it over over live television. No, the mass. The mass, the mass in the, the church. The mass in the church was was uh, televised. Was televised. So this coming young Kippur, I should do No, so well, well, let's see, let's see. And and now apparently, apparently, according to the Catholic Church, if you sat in front of your TV and viewed the ceremony. You were Makayim the mitzvah. You fulfilled the obligation. Right? And therefore says Rab Salavechik, by you viewing that ceremony, which was a religious ceremony, you are taking part in a, 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 some type of ceremony of Avodah And it's prohibited. And that was the opinion of Rab Salavechik. So Thank so God, so Megan and uh, Kate are already married. So... But that would be a question. Would you be permitted to watch a wedding? So right? If you, if you brew a chauffeur in a shul and you watch it on television, is that the reverse principle the same? According, according, to, the according to, to the Catholics. According to the Catholics, you would be Yotze. According to the Catholics, you would be Yotze. Um, but uh, we, we don't learn from them. They learn from us. In fact, there's a famous chuba. <laughs> chauffeur is different because you have to hear the sound. From the right, 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 right. But, but not even a microphone inside the shoe. But British Jewish leaders attended, say, uh, the attended royal weddings and coronations and things. But they're but they're not Catholic, are they? So they're are they a bit. So yeah. So first of all, for example, the Beitin of London for the last, I think, two hundred, maybe even more, had they have a Masorah that. For extenuating circumstances such as when the queen's getting married, etc., or coronation ceremony, they do enter the church. There could be two reasons to be lenient. First of all, the no, who says we paskin like the Nodabiuda? Maybe we paskin like the Ramah. So if you're going to be lenient with the Ramah, it's less of a problem, but it still is a big problem. It just lessens the problem. It doesn't mean it's permitted to go into a church. I'm going to speak with that in, in, in a moment. But there are extenuating circumstances when it would be permitted. In fact, if we are on that, let's jump to page 33. Sorry? Mishum Eva. Because you're causing, you're causing uh, enmity amongst the, uh, the, the non-Jews. And it could have an impact on the Jewish community. And Mishum Eva, because of, due to enmity, there might be a reason to be lenient. However, for example... Rav Ovadia Yosef was the chief rabbi in Egypt and before the state of Israel, uh, I think, I think yeah. before the state, and he was asked to go to a very important uh, 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 funeral um, as the chief rabbi. And he said, I don't hold that it's permitted, even for the sake of Ava, even for the sake of enmity, he holds it prohibited to go to a 
uh, uh, church and he said, if I have to give up my titles, chief rabbi, I'm prepared to do that, but I'm not going. So he wrote a long truva discussing when we apply the principle of enmity, does it apply in all cases? Rabbi Vadya Yosef held that it doesn't apply in our case. The Beitin of London argued, the Beitin of London hold that in certain cases they do uh, permit it. But what is the crux of, uh, of even if we are going to, what is the problem of going into a church? So let me give a, a brief introduction to the prohibition. There are four prohibitions of deriving benefit from Avodah Zorah. Four Torah violations. Violation number one, prohibition number one, is you cannot get benefit from the idol, from the pestle itself. Prohibition number two, you are not allowed to get benefit from Noyea Avodah the things that beautify the idol. So you got a, you put a jacket on the idol, you can't get benefit from that jacket. You can't get benefit from anything that is beautifying the idol, and that's also a Torah violation. The third prohibition is Misham Sheyavodah things that service the idol. What could that be? That could be the altar. That could be the frying pan. That might be the building that houses the Avodah it might also be considered Misham Avodah things that service idolatry. It's also a Torah violation to get benefit from that. The fourth prohibition is to get, to get uh, benefit from Tikrovet Avodah a actual korban, a sacrifice for idolatry. You cannot get benefit. I was flying to, uh, to Australia uh, via... I think it was Hong Kong, I think, no, Thailand, via Thailand. And in the airport, I saw, you know, you see a, a Buddha and then they put like an apple in front of the Buddha. So that apple is like Tikrovet of Arizona. It might be prohibited to eat such an apple. The truth is, I think it's permitted uh, to eat such an apple. We, we, we don't have time to go into why I think it is. Basically, there's no such thing as hectic for Arizona. You cannot designate something for what is already you actually have to sacrifice it so if they didn't cut up the apple it could be that the apple is just not used as a korban yet right but if they started cutting it up it might be a problem anyway don't eat the apple uh we don't have time to elucidate the whole sugya but it is a is a question so coming back to our question deriving benefits from a bodhisattva can one go into a church what would be the problem there are certain poskim that seem to imply that it's a Torah violation and it's a problem of deriving benefit from Misham Sheyavodazara. Even though generally the Gemara says that something that's Mechuba Lekarka, if it was connected to the ground, it's not necessarily, it can't become prohibited. For example, if the Goyim worship a mountain, the mountain doesn't become prohibited because it's Mechuba Lekarka, it's connected to the ground. But here it wasn't, it was detached from the ground and then they connected the bricks afterwards and built the building. So it could be, it's a very uh, complicated discussion in the Mishnah and the Gemara over there in Avodah and how to define this status. But basically there are opinions, Rav Moshe Feinstein seems to be leaning in that direction, that it's a Torah violation to go in because you're deriving benefit from Misham Shei Avodah from something that is servicing uh, idolatry. Now, one could also make a distinction. Maybe that's only in a Catholic church and not a Protestant church. That is a big discussion amongst the later poskim. Is there really room to distinguish between Catholicism and all the different sects? 
um, or not, because in the end of the day, do they, they, some of them don't believe in the Trinity, but they kind of believe in the Trinity, so it becomes very difficult to understand it, um, and that still might be a problem. But most, and I say most, even Rabbi Vadi Yosef, who was, we saw was absolutely prohibited, anyone going to a church, he doesn't hold that it's a Torah violation. He holds it's a rabbinic violation. Adam Mishum Chashad, the Gemara in Avodah on, on Yud Aleph and Yud Zayin talk about that people think, might think that you are going to do Avodah Zorah and that's a big problem. According to the Ritva, the Ritva has a very interesting definition. He says, Marit Ayin, regarding Avodah Zorah is Yareg Vahal Yavor. Yareg Vahal Yavor. A person has to give up one's life even though it's only Marit Ayin. A din de Rabbanan, a rabbinic decree. According to the Ritva, it's a special din of Avodah Zorah. Yareg Vahal Yavor. Okay, we don't necessarily pass like the Ritva, but so what I'm trying to say is that even Poskin, that don't hold us a Torah violation, were very adamant that it's prohibited to go into a church. However, it's only on a rabbinic level. Now comes the question, in extenuating circumstances, is there room to be lenient? For example, Ava, enmity, possibility number two, voting stations, sometimes voting polls were held in rooms or on the grounds of a church. So Rav Sternbuch, uh, in his uh, response, uh, wrote that basically since he held the problem was maritime, chashad, the people were suspecting that you were doing it, because everyone knows it was voting day and it wasn't in the church, it was on the grounds, he was, he was lenient. So to summarize, there is an argument between the Ramah and the Nodah Behuda whether it is actually Christ, uh, uh, idolatry or not. Even according to the lenient opinions that it's not idolatry, for a Jew it definitely would be idolatry, it would be a problem going into a church. Is it a Torah violation or a rabbinic violation? That seems to be a machloket, a discussion amongst the um, poskim. And therefore, um, therefore, unless it's really for extenuating circumstances, no one permitted it. In certain extenuating circumstances, some poskim were lenient. Rav Osher Weitz was asked regarding a violinist who was playing in a symphony orchestra. He was the chief violinist. And this was his, his parnosa. This was his livelihood. And they hired out a, a church that was not being used, but basically to have the, the uh, symphony there. And he was maker. He was lenient. He held that uh, the problem over here was maritime chashad. And everyone who was going was clearly going to listen to the music. And therefore, he held for extenuating circumstances this person's going to lose his livelihood. He was, he was lenient. So there are, there are different opinions amongst the posthum when, when one can be lenient, when one can't. But I want to, um, based on, on, on the line, of that, uh, of that Gemara, of that idea, let's just jump to source number 33. We've got, uh, sorry, page number 33 and uh, source number 23. Source number 23, the Gemara in Psachim, Chafvav, Amarava, Mina, Minala. So from where do I say, right, regarding this din, that one can't get benefit even from sound or sight? Of Avodah Zarah, of idolatry. When it comes to the sound 
sight or smell, right, of the incense of the Beit HaMikdash, there, what's the din? So, there's no prohibition of Me'ila, however, regarding holy things, however, Me'ila Hudeleka Ha'isura Ika. It might not be Me'ila, Torah violation, but it definitely is a rabbinic violation. Now, that's regarding getting benefit from something which is hectic. But the same principle would apply to getting benefit from idolatry. And therefore, based on this, it would be very problematic to get benefit from tunes of a Vodazara. Now, look at source number 30, page number 30. Says the Ramah, who uh, defiles his mouth with all... Uh, with um, undesired, uncouth language. Or he sings non-Jewish tunes. We give him a warning, don't do that. And if he doesn't listen, he's out. He cannot be the Shaliyah Tzibur anymore. And the Mishnah Brura clarifies, so what does that mean? Any any prohibition of any song from the, from the non-Jews is going to be a problem. We can't have any songs like that. We can't sing them. We can't bring them into our shuls. Many, many uh, choirs in Chutzaretz have adopted many songs that their source was not necessarily from, from Judaism. What's the din? Says the Mishnah Brura. And he clarifies. Ritzonon Amar, when it said Shirei Nochrim, Benigun Shanochrim Menagnim Bo Lavodat Gilulin Shelahem. It's specifically songs that they used in their services. So if there's a Christmas carol, that would be prohibited to sing. Right? And that would be prohibited to bring it into, uh, into our shores. But if a non-Jew just comes up with a nice tune, according to the Mission of Brura, that would be okay. What about us humming these tunes? It would be a problem and if it's a Christmas carol. If it's if it's something that is basically used in their services well, of a bodhisattva. Okay, okay, so if if you if you I'm saying if you just hear a tune, you don't have to assume that was used in their in their idolaters. But it, it's interesting, you know, you can you have sometimes the ushering traps in Israel. They don't even know what they're playing, but they're playing. You know, we people that come from Chutzai, they know they're playing songs of Christmas carols, right. and it could be a big problem. Could be a big problem if it's specifically a Christmas carol or something that is tuned that was used in the service in their church services. However, a general non-Jewish tune, there's no problem according to this of bringing it and singing. And here comes an argument between again Ravovad Yosef, and we'll end with this: Ravovad Yosef and the Igrot Moshe. Ravovad Yosef says like this: We saw explicitly that the Gemara says you cannot get benefit from a tune of a Bodhisattva. Ravovadia is lenient, even to take a tune that was used by the Goyim in their service of Avodah and sing Kedusha to it on Musa. And why is that? Explains Ravovadia. Although we saw the Gemara in Psachim, we saw that there was a prohibition to use it, so how could he be lenient? That sounds, you're not allowed to get benefit. 
But here you're not taking the sound. You're taking the tune of that sound, right? And re it's not the same sound. You're right. If you're walking past a church and you hear a sound, you're not allowed to get benefit from it. But here you're singing it. It's not the same sound. <coughs> so says Rabbi Vadya, that's not a problem. It's what's called in halakha, panim chadashot baulakan. A new face has come. It's a new product. And therefore there's no, there's no problem at all regarding that. Bringing a tune from something else. Right, right, right. <laughs> now the Igrot Moshe is, is, is Mahmir. But uh, I'll be honest, I'll be honest. He lived in America. Right. Feinstein. Right. Coming from America, there is a very strong amount of Christianity in the air and in the tunes around the month of December. Right. Ravavaja didn't, didn't have such that. an invite. But, 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 but that, I think that's the novelty. That even though he was not, he didn't, there was no need for it, he didn't think that there was a problem. Rav Moshe Feinstein, who was living amongst it, etc., but he held it was a problem. Not only that, Rav, Rav, Rav Moshe Feinstein says, if it was ever used in a church, even though they don't use it anymore, you can't use that song. What I disagree, the book says that he was machmir regarding non-Jewish songs. I don't think that that's what the Igrot Moshe is saying. I think he's specifically referring to church music. Church music, even if it's outdated, is a problem. But regular non-Jewish music, according to Rav Moshe Feinstein, I don't think would be a problem. Who does say that regular non-Jewish music is a problem? Rav Waldenberg. Rav Waldenberg, the Tzitzel Yezeh, says it's Koach that one is bringing into, it is not appropriate, it's making people have uh, um, inappropriate thoughts in the middle of Kedusha, of Musaf, and he is very Mahmoud. So there are opinions that have adopted the, the, the opinion of Rav, Rav, Rav Waldenberg, but there are definitely lenient opinions of Rav Ovad Yosef, and I believe even Rav Moshe Feinstein would agree with him in regarding many of the other issues. So that was source uh, shear number one regarding uh, the halachas of Avodah Zara. And uh, thank you for joining. And if people want to ask questions, that is... Uh, Can you use the password? <laughs> I think it would be a problem to... to uh, I, would, I think it would be a problem. Now, if a guy, somebody else if a guy would type it in for him... Maybe, maybe there's but more. You're gaining benefit if you type it. In. Correct. But oh, if you're no, gaining you benefit, benefit, even if he types it in. Yeah, you're gaining benefit. Oh, even if he types it in. Right. So this is so this is the question. This is the question. Um, when it comes to a non-Jew, so if we have you, if you're going to take the lenient opinion of the Rama, is he doing an isur? According to the Rama, could be that he's not doing an isur. So if he's not doing an isur, right? then it might be permitted. For the Jew himself to write it, I think it would be a big problem. Right? Because there, even the Ramah, the Ramah wasn't lenient for a Jew. The Ramah said, regarding non-Jews, if they have this shit of it's not uh, the end of the world. Right? Yeah. So therefore, I think it, might, it definitely is a problem for a Jew to type it in. I think if a non-Jew did it, there is definitely room to be lenient, but needs further yeah. clarification. There's two Goyishim in Hagen that Jews do. They, they knock on wood. But you shouldn't do it. But, but they do Because they don't know what the There are a lot of things that Jews do. Right? And so that would be uh, something like at worshipping. Well, 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 it depends. That, that's going to be in, in source number, uh, shir number three, where we do chukata goyim. Mm -hmm. So then, then we'll discuss uh, knocking on wood. That, that, that's, uh, the second thing is many people, when they, you know, something happens, they say, oh my, 
G-O-D. Right. And that was, they're invoking, not oh, our Hashem. They're not saying, oh, Hashem, help me. Why? Is the it, Jew says, oh, my God, what's the problem? It's oh. a, because the expression comes from the Goyim. No, the Gemara talks about it. Do they? But yeah. they don't. But they. Yeah. First of all, they, how they, do they say are you, it? Are you taking Hashem's name in vain, though? I don't know. If, if you just say, "Oh, oh my gosh," rather, "Oh my God," you're saying yeah, the, the 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 Gemara says, uh, Right or 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 or, or I, the, with, with the Gemara with the the, the Amoraim, when they trying to get their opinion across, they'll go. Hayelokim, you know, by my God. And yeah, but that's among us. We right. understand that as the So if a non-Jewish person... When do it, when you hear a guy... Right, so I'll give you a practical example. Right? In, 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 uh, I was uh, in South Africa, and when you give charity to, to beggars on the street, and they would say, God bless you. And now the question is, well, do you say Amen? Because, well, <laughs> who are they referring to when they say God? It's, it's not, not a simple. So I think there, there would be a, be a question. But, um, right. What about the British National Anthem, which is called Save the Queen, which I think right. is a hymn originally, actually. I think it, you know, it's a, so it's, you know, I think it, I'm not sure, but I have a feeling it might be originally church music. So could you sing the National Anthem, you know, if it's that... Nobody's going to accuse you yeah. of being doing, doing idol worship when you're singing a national anthem. No. It's pretty obvious what, 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 what you're, you're doing. doing. Yes, yeah. I think you'd have to check though whether it was church music originally. Yeah. The same melody is used in the United States. Yes. My country tis of me. Could be that according to Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, it, would, it no, might be a problem. No one's ever said that you shouldn't do it, so I right. presume that it must be all right, right. for some reason. Are you right? Yes. If I, I, I think I am. Yeah. So, where, so where, you want to switch it off? Where would I find you? <laughs> I can't make it to 